0: okay welcome everybody glad to be able to try to meet with you in the midst of all of the coronavirus chaos and I know everybody's uh, probably getting a little stir-crazy uh, with all the stay-at-home orders and so on it's it's necessary for us to be wise and to take mitigating measures uh, but that doesn't make it easy and so uh, we want to make sure that as we are um, doing everything that we can to maintain uh, a sense of normalcy in the midst of doing things that will uh, try to stem the tide of the of this uh, virus and its spread. Uh, we recognize that these are real problems, uh, but we also have uh, lives that go on. And, and for those of us who know Christ especially, we know that our lives are bigger than this moment, bigger than this temporary life we we're made for more we're made for eternity and so uh, we want to bear that in mind as we move forward Uh, before we start uh, talking about the holy spirit in the church uh, let's take a moment to pray and then we will jump into it father god thank you so much for the privilege of being able to open your word to be able to talk about discuss think about and interact with uh, your divine revelation thank you for your holy spirit uh, that you gave as you promised uh, to be able to empower us to do what we were meant to do, to make us who we were meant to be. So, Father, as we open uh, this this uh, section and we look into the idea of the Holy Spirit's role in the church, I pray that you would help us to be able to receive what you have for us from your Word, to be able to um, to surrender. Uh, so often, Father, we hear. And we know, we take in information, but we're not transformed by it. So I pray that you would make us not only hearers of the word, but doers also. Uh, guide us today. Uh, watch over those who are uh, sick, who are, uh, who are lonely and depressed. We know that times like this, especially in isolation, can bring out just the hardest things inside of us. So I pray that uh, in the midst of these dark times, that your Holy Spirit would take hold of us that uh, we who know Christ would be a shining reflection of his light in this dark world. We pray this in his name, for your glory, by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right. Uh, Producer Stacy's not able to be with us today. Uh, she has a particularly hard workload right now, and uh, trying to accomplish things in the midst of the isolation can be a, a struggle. So as we are uh, working through this, we're kind of backing up. Last week, instead of talking about um, the Sunday sermon during our something to talk about segment. uh, We talked instead about coronavirus and all of the stuff that goes on with that. So today, uh, we're going to kind of back up uh, and look at both part one and part two of this um, sub-series within our Impact World series in the Book of Acts. We have been... um, We've been working through the book of Acts up to chapter 5, and we've seen some pretty amazing things happen already. The uh, The reality of uh, the story is pretty strong. It's a pretty powerful thing. And so as we are seeing the Holy Spirit enter the believers uh, to dwell with all believers sense, and we're seeing... Uh, Christ's promise that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came on them and that they would be witnesses throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> um, the the first five chapters almost feel superhuman. It feels, uh, as uh, one commentator, I think it actually was John Calvin, said it, it appears more uh, like a gathering of angels than of men uh, because they're just we're seeing this victory after victory, um, this grace upon grace uh, mentality until we get to chapter five and and we have a little bit of a stumble there, uh, maybe an understatement with Ananias and Sapphira and they decide that they're going to make the play to be able to try to get people to see them to gain reputation um, without uh, genuinely giving what they had said they were giving. So <clears throat> the Holy Spirit judges them in that moment as he is uh, establishing a standard for his church, for Christ's church. And then when we get into chapter 6, which we have not yet, we're going to see some problems arise that require adjustments as the church grows and as the uh, the mission expands and the impact expands. We see that... Um, That some some new things begin to take place and there's a shift. Before we get into that, we're kind of stopping to explore a little bit about what the role of the Holy Spirit is in the church. Before that, we looked at what the church actually is about, and so we we see the church that Christ had talked about, that He had promised that He would build, um, being established in Acts chapter two as the Holy Spirit comes uh, and, and in that upper room Pentecost experience as uh, so many times we've talked about over the years. I I think even if you're not in church, you've heard something about this uh, Pentecost experience uh, that during that moment, everything changed. But we easily focus in on the miraculous aspect of it. But the really powerful reality is that this is the birth of the church. And so then after that, from that moment on, the Holy Spirit is moving through the church to do everything that the church uh, is called to do in in being Christ's ambassadors, his reflection on the earth. So in in Acts chapter 2, we have a a description, uh, particularly at the end of chapter 2, we see a similar uh, description in chapter 4, but in Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 42 and following, we see this picture of what the church is like. <clears throat> we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but, but I do want us to be able to see it. Um, three weeks ago or three episodes ago, we were talking about the idea of what the church was like. And we see this pattern. Uh, Luke records for us, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to doctrine that is, and to fellowship, the unity and connection uh, of the church. Uh, you could even go so far as to say the, the teamwork of it, uh, perhaps that feels like a cheapening, but I don't think it really is. There's a, a, a mission and a teamwork. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that that communion together in celebrating and remembering uh the, the price that was paid for our freedom at the cross. So they're focused and centered on the gospel and to prayer, that interactive relationship uh, with God in prayer. <clears throat> the result of that, as we see, everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So that picture of the church uh, in that immediate aftermath of the coming of the Holy Spirit is, uh, is a dynamic that is an accurate reflection of Christ. They're pulled out of themselves and... And as so often happens in a honeymoon period, in marriages and everything else, it it, it goes really well and really easily uh, at the beginning. And then it gets more difficult as life settles into normal. Now, at this moment, they're gathering every day. They're gathering formally as a big group at the temple. They're gathering informally in homes, But over time, they will face many different circumstances that will alter some of those things. Throughout church history, we've seen that plagues, wars, persecutions, uh, not unlike dealing with what we're seeing with the coronavirus, where you can't meet publicly, you can't meet in in larger groups, and you have to find other ways to be the church, to be able to carry out this pattern, uh, perhaps without large group meetings. And so, uh, that's just a little side note as we're dealing with what we're dealing with presently. Please understand, I've heard a lot of Christians getting really bent out of shape about uh, the emergency measures that are being taken, and this is the, the step to shutting down the church, it's uh, the beginning of, of, of a dictatorship, and so on. No, just just no. We need to calm ourselves down and recognize that, uh, that dire situations, unusual situations, require unusual and extreme measures and in this particular case we are we're not singling out churches the government isn't saying churches can't meet but you know casinos and restaurants can and movie theaters can it's shutting down everything because the goal is to save lives the goal is to be able to get this thing under control so that we can return to a sense of normalcy it's not martial law it's not uh you know taking over everything it's a reality that we have to deal with. And so as Christ followers, we need to do what, what we see the Holy Spirit doing in us, as we'll talk about today, in maturing. We need to, to grow up in our faith. We need to reflect Christ accurately. And uh, part of that, as we see in Romans and we see Jesus uh, encouraging and, and modeling throughout the Gospels, is to submit to the governing authorities. We need to make sure that we are to the best of our ability without dishonoring God, we need to submit to the governing authorities. Now, when we're called, when when Peter calls us to to love God and honor the king, that's really what we're doing. We first and foremost always submit to God. We always submit to the highest authority. And so should a lower authority our our human government in any form, or the church structure in any form, go against the clear teaching of Scripture and the command of the Lord, we follow Christ. We follow the Lord. We always must obey God rather than men. But part of obeying God is obeying human authority. We see this in Paul's writings. We see it in, in Christ's life. Uh, we see that even in the Old Testament that there is a, an authority structure. God is not a fan of anarchy. And so order is good and right. In this particular case, as we're facing this worldwide pandemic, we need to do what is necessary to be able to overcome it. God gives us wisdom and he gives us uh, the ability to know things. Uh, science is, is God's. He, he has all truth. He created everything. So science belongs to God. So as we follow scientific measures and and medical wisdom, we are obeying God. Now, as we come back to the book of Acts, uh, we see that we're, you know, they're meeting all the time. We are temporarily not neglecting assembling together, but we are choosing for the moment to put that on hold. We're still doing all that we can, just as we are, even in this moment, interacting virtually to to stay connected, to be the church, we want to uh, to work in that direction. As we see the Holy Spirit's role in the church, we learned previously that the church is united by the reality of Christ and committed to reflecting Him together. We last week we didn't get to talk about this in the podcast, but but we did on Sunday morning. We saw that the Holy Spirit enables the church to reflect the reality of Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does in Acts one eight. Jesus said, "Wait here." And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you receive this power, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So, the first thing that the Holy Spirit has to do in order to empower the church and enable the church to reflect the reality of Christ is the Holy Spirit takes hold of us and adds us to Christ's church. This has to do with salvation. So, in Romans chapter 8, um, I'm going to flip my pages here. In Romans chapter 8, we see that that we don't have the, the capacity in ourselves uh, to be able to, to repent, to be able to come to Christ. We see throughout the Bible that repentance is from God. Repentance is granted by the Lord. Uh, it, it's true in the life of Israel. It's true uh, in individual lives. We see it throughout the New Testament that God moves in us by his spirit to be able to, uh, to to change our hearts so that we have new desires, we are are driven to, called to, moved to, stirred to obey his word. Um, and we see first off, you know, in the, in the Holy Spirit taking hold of us, he, he changes our identity by first initiating our repentance and Uh, In a few weeks, we'll see in Acts chapter 11, a picture of that. Uh, But just in in Romans 8, we see that, uh, let's look at, oh goodness, it's such a good chapter. I want to read so much of it. Uh, But let's start with verse 5. Uh, Paul writes, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. Okay, so let that sink in for just a moment. We live according to the sinful nature, our flesh. Our minds desire what our flesh desires, because that's that's our nature at that point. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, we have our minds set on what the Spirit desires. Okay, so there's two contrasting things, and and uh, Paul will develop that in, in several of his letters, but... We have the spirit pulling us in one direction, the flesh, our nature, pulling us in another direction. So the idea that we should just be ourselves and do what is natural is totally contrary to what we see in the gospel. We're not called to be natural. Our natural state is corrupted by sin. We're born separated from God because of our sin. But we're called to be supernatural, If we live according to the sinful nature, according to the flesh, we have our mind set on what the nature desires. That is in contrast with the second part. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. He goes on in verse 6, and this is where we start to to see the point come together. The mind of of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. Okay, so while I'm a sinner apart from God, I'm actually, whether I recognize it or not, my mind choosing what my flesh desires is contrary to what the Holy Spirit desires. So I'm hostile to God in verse seven. It does not submit to God's law. Don't miss the second part. Nor can it do so. My sinful nature is so sinful that I can't submit to God's law. I can't repent. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however... Controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. So what we're seeing here is this picture, this is the beginning of the picture uh, in our conversation... Uh, we'll see it, again, developed throughout the book of Acts. We'll see it uh, in, in pictures there. We see it developed in Paul's writings. We see the picture even in the choosing of Israel when God goes out of his way to remind Israel constantly, I did not choose you for anything in you. I chose you because I chose you. For my glory, I took you when you had nothing to offer, when you were far away, when you were rebellious. And I took you and made you mine. And then the history of Israel continues to be rebellious, to, to walk away from God and, and God brings them back. And they walk away from God and God brings them back. It's a great parallel to the lives that we all tend to live, even as Christ followers. So again, as, as uh, Paul writes to Titus, it's, it's not in any way because of works of righteousness that we've done. It's not that we're holy and we choose God. It's that it, according to his mercy, he saves us. He reaches in, pulls us from the fire that we started. And saves us. So the Holy Spirit initiates our repentance. He fosters our adoption a little farther down in in, uh, Romans 8. Um, We see in verse 15, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. That's an adoption language. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, or Papa, that that endearing, um, intimate term. This idea that that we've been given the spirit of sonship, a spirit of adoption to sonship, uh, is it's rendered elsewhere. We we are fully accepted in Christ. Ephesians one, we'll see that a little bit in a little bit here. Ephesians one gives us this whole picture of how uh, the Holy Spirit has changed us because of what Christ did for us. We now receive every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we become heirs with Christ. Everything that belongs to Christ spiritually belongs to us because we are in Christ. And, and that reality uh, is unchanging. So the the Holy Spirit initiates our repentance. He fosters our adoption. Uh, Ephesians 2.13 talks about the Holy Spirit being a seal, a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance that that picture reminds me of uh, Philippians one six, as Paul tells the Philippian church that he's confident that the one who started the good work in them would complete that work. Well, if the Holy Spirit begins this work, initiating our repentance, and he fosters our adoption and makes us his, he also is the guarantee, the deposit that ensures that we will be completed. Right now, we're unfinished projects. God's still working on me. But the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that no matter how weak-willed and failing I might be, God keeps my promises. The things that I have committed to Him, He keeps for me. Lastly, we see, as, as we mentioned already in Acts 1-8, that uh, the Holy Spirit emboldens our witness, and we see the picture of that immediately after the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, that uh, the Peter, who had been timid uh, at the point of crucifixion, now comes out bold. He he, he uh, preaches this massive sermon, this untrained fisherman uh, who has no particular training or skill. He's not a, a great orator uh, necessarily, but he has been with Christ and he's filled with, empowered by, emboldened by the Holy Spirit. We see that over and over again in in the book of Acts, where the spirit in someone causes them to to, to be able to do what it is that they need to do. And what Christ calls us to in Acts 1.8 is specifically not not to be uh, salespeople for God, not to sell, but to tell, to be witnesses. It's very simple. If I know Christ, I can introduce him to others. That's it. I don't have to have a Bible degree. I don't have to to be some uh, master of theology. What I have to do is have an experience with Jesus Christ. And if I have an experience with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is in me, then the Holy Spirit prompts me and enables me to be able to tell others what has happened in my life. Now, I need to know the scriptures to be able to to come to Christ. I need to know who he is and what that means for me. I need to be able to to recognize the gospel that I was created to, to have a relationship with God, created in his image for intimacy with him. I need to recognize that my sin has separated me from God. All of our sin has separated all of us from God. And we need salvation because we can't undo that. Our sins can't be removed by trying to, to outgood our bad and see if we can balance the scales or, or tip them in the favor of the good. One drop of sin taints the entire ocean of our lives. So, any sin, it's like darkness and light. If God is light, darkness can't exist in his presence, it's antithetical. The sin in our lives is is like darkness before the the pure light. It can't be there. It can't exist. So if we have darkness, and the scripture says that before we're in Christ, we're in, not only are we in darkness, but we actually are darkness. We, We were once darkness, and we've been made light in the Lord. So if that's who we are, then the holiness of God utterly destroys all that is imperfect, including us. We can't undo our sins with good deeds. The good news of the gospel is that paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. Once we get a hold of that, we believe that he he died in our place and that his sacrifice is enough to pay for our sins, that he rose from the dead just as he said, that he is exactly who he claimed to be, and we're willing to confess that openly. We're not hiding we're not ashamed we're not saying oh my goodness i don't want anybody to know i'm a believer you know i don't talk about politics and religion and so i don't care if you talk about politics but man if i am afraid to confess jesus if i'm ashamed of him he said he'll be ashamed of me before the father so paul says in in romans 10 to be saved you believe you confess you 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 identify with christ publicly so once i recognize that he paid the price for my sin by dying and rising again then I need to do something about that. And the Bible tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So everyone who trusts in him alone, I think we all know John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Now our state, our natural state is perishing because the wages of sin is death and all of us have sin. Jesus pays the price so that if we will believe in him, whoever believes in him receives that gospel, unwraps the gift that he's paid for, we'll be saved. And he doesn't turn anybody away who does that. In fact, if we're able to do that, if, if our desire is for that, it's because the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes, taken out our rock-hard heart and given us a heart of flesh and enabled us to be able to see, wow, Jesus is beautiful. And then we choose Jesus as precious. We look at him and say, this is, this is what I want for my life. And when I put my trust in him, I'm saved. And I receive in him eternal life, life that starts now and lasts forever. This is a powerful reality. And that's the nature of the bold witness that the Holy Spirit gives us. So this week, as we uh, moved a little farther into it in the phase two here, we saw, uh, as we've just been talking about, that the Holy Spirit changes our identity So as he changes our identity, he takes hold of us, he initiates our repentance, fosters our adoption, guarantees our completion, emboldens our witness. He adds us to the church. He brings us together as a body. But then on top of that, the Holy Spirit develops our maturity. So everyone in whom the Holy Spirit lives will grow in Christ. That's the nature of having the Holy Spirit in us. Since I am in Christ, once I've Uh, received christ as we just talked about then i'm in christ and i can know with certainty that the holy spirit lives in me and because the holy spirit lives in me according to god's promise not according to my feelings but according to god's promise the holy spirit will certainly develop my maturity he's a guarantee of my completion It's a continuous ongoing project. It's not this automatic flip a switch and oh, oh, I I got saved so all of a sudden all my life is better and I've got all my thinking figured out and I've, I've got this nailed down. The reality of all of this is that we're on a journey. We're growing like a baby that was born and then that baby has to develop. Well, we've been reborn. We've been born again in Christ. According to, to 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we are new creatures. The old has passed away and the new has come. And so as we're new creatures, we have to grow. We have to develop. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. The Holy Spirit works out this maturity in us. And so um, part, of, part of how he does that is sanctifying our character so as the holy spirit sanctifies our character from within he produces fruit in us so just like a a a tree or a plant produces fruit from what's inside of it its nature produces that fruit the holy spirit having changed our identity having changed our nature then produces the fruit of character in us and we see that really clearly in galatians 5 Um, so I'm going to turn there real quick. Galatians chapter five tells us the the fruit of the spirit, and one of the beautiful things of this is it contrasts uh, it contrasts the acts of the sinful nature and the fruit of the spirit. Understand that the acts of the sinful nature is not the same as the fruit of the spirit. So the the acts, these things that I do, the things that that come from me at that point. Uh, Aren't coming from God. They're not coming from this uh, this changed nature that God has given me. And he says, Paul writes to the Galatian church in Galatians five nineteen and following. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. And he lists them out, and it's not an exhaustive list. He gives several lists of sins throughout the New Testament. None of them are intended to be exhaustive because we can always find new ways to sin, and we do. We work really hard to come up with new ways to sin all the time. We talk ourselves into uh, this cultural, moral revolution, uh, and we act as if these are, are new things. It's just the same old sins recycled, and we find new ways of going about it. So we create new technologies Uh, just for the purpose of sin. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. All these bad things. And we can see all of these and none of them even sound good. But we do them. Paul writes, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you don't have to live like this. If you're in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you, then that's not who you are anymore. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says, I, I still have sin in me, but it's not me anymore. It's the sin that's still hanging on, this virus that, that I've, I've got it in me and I've got to fight this virus, but that, it doesn't define me anymore. That's not my natural thing. My new nature, my new will, because of the Holy Spirit in me, joyfully conforms with God's will. That's what I want. That's where where all of who I truly am rests is the desire to do God's will. And yet, I still blow it. I blow it all the time. I'm constantly struggling with sin, not doing what I want to do, doing what I don't want to do. But there's a difference. In me resides the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God is producing fruit in me. Now, what keeps that fruit from growing is the unhealthy things, just like with a, a fruit tree. If you get parasites or or, or uh, pests that are going to eat the fruit or are going to, to kill off or, or hamper the health of the tree, it's not going to produce the fruit as well. But it still is there inside working to produce that fruit. It's not the, the straining, oh, I'm going to pop out an apple. You know, it's not that kind of thing, but... The, the the DNA of the of the of the animal or the plant here in this case, I'm kind of mixing my metaphor here the 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 nature of it inside is wired to produce fruit. And the lifeblood flowing through it, the sap in that in that tree or in that plant, is designed to bring about the fruit. The only thing that stops it or hampers it is something that blocks it, an unhealthy thing. For us in the Holy Spirit, this is what he's doing in us. It's a lifelong process. We're continuing to grow. But here's what happens inside as the Holy Spirit begins to develop our maturity by sanctifying our character. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. You killed it. It died on the cross with Christ. It's not yours. It's not you anymore. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is where our effort comes in. The Spirit is producing life in us. That's the fruit. He's living in us, producing life in us. Our life is in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we live by the Spirit. But we have the job then of actually living out what is living in us, walking with, keeping in step with the Spirit. I shared with the, our youth group the other night um, the, the picture of marching and, and uh, when I was in the basic training in the Air Force, we do a lot of marching. We don't do a lot of PT, but we did a lot of marching. And so as we were doing this marching, it's this constant monotonous over and over again drilling to get every step together, to walk in, in lockstep, in rhythm. And you could hear it coming down the road. When you see that sort of unity, that there is, it's like one body moving and as we work to keep in step with the Spirit, He is guiding us. He's empowering us. He's sanctifying us. And since we live by the Spirit, let's let's do all that we can to make sure that we are responding to what the Spirit is doing in us, in that sanctifying character. So He, he sanctifies us. He, he gets us in lockstep, helps us to say no to temptation, enables us to obey the Word of Christ and to please God and and works in us to fulfill God's purpose. Paul prays in Ephesians 1:18 uh, that that the Holy Spirit that, that God would enlighten the eyes of their hearts. So the the Holy Spirit not only sanctifies our character but he enlightens our hearts. He gives light to the eyes of our heart, changes our thinking, moves us in a direction of right thinking, changes our affections and our priorities. So what Paul is praying for is that the Holy Spirit then would would alter our view, would change the things that we consider precious, change our desires, our thoughts, and our loves in such a way as to allow us to delight in the Lord. Psalm 37.4 calls us to delight in the Lord. Delighting is a choice. It's not just feeling happy about something. It's seeing that this is precious, choosing to treasure, to cherish, to delight in it. Philippians 4.4, Paul calls us to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, this is something that we choose to do and the holy spirit in us allows us and empowers us to be able to choose to do that so that in 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 being able to see this way to change our thinking then we develop a mind of peace because confidence brings that peace stability brings that peace and as we change our thinking then we begin to to change our living and when we change our thinking and our living, then our feelings will eventually follow. Understand, this is not about feeling saved. It's about knowing that our salvation is not based on our feelings. Instead, it rests in the promises and character of God. God said it. We choose to believe it. And so when, when we believe what God said, then we have to trust that he's going to do what he said he would do. So it's specifically not about our feelings. It's not about how well we've mastered this life. It's trusting that God is doing what God is doing. So he enlightens our hearts. He changes our thoughts and affections. He empowers our prayers. We uh, have been looking a lot at Romans 8. If we jump down to verses 26 and 27, we're told that that the the Holy Spirit prays for us on uh, in our place, essentially, intercedes for us. When we're in over our heads and we don't know how to pray, we don't know what to pray for, we don't know how to get the words out. So the Holy Spirit does this for us in prayers that that words can't express, but the Spirit of God can. And so we don't need a lot of words, or we don't need a lot of uh, fancy thought or, or good, you know, good look or reputation or anything. We don't have to impress God with having the right incantations like so many pagan religions. The Holy Spirit gives us access to the Father because of the relationship that he has already fostered in us as he changed our identity. He's developing our maturity as he brings us into the presence of the Father in this interactive relationship and does for us and in us what we cannot do in and for ourselves. He gives us this trusting dependence which is which is the nature of our prayer we're saying i can't do this myself so i'm going to trust god to do this for me that doesn't mean we trust perfectly it doesn't mean that that you know we we pray and and oh now i have no more fears no more struggles that one of my favorite prayers in the scripture is is uh the man who prays lord i believe help my unbelief it's not that i want to doubt you but i still struggle with my flesh i still struggle with these doubts that creep up i don't want them I want to believe you. Help me believe you more. Help me trust you more. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. He empowers our prayers. And when we're unable to articulate or even know what our needs are, he handles that for us. And we have to trust that God does what God does. Lastly, we see that the the Holy Spirit guides our doctrine. He leads us into truth and wisdom. He brings to mind the things that, that Jesus has taught us. When we take the word into ourselves, Ephesians 6.17 calls the, the word of God the Spirit's sword. The sword of the Spirit is the word that we have taken in as we study God's word, as we dig in deep and we take hold of this. Then the Holy Spirit is armed with the sword, God's word, to be able to wield in our lives to cut us deeply in conviction, to be able to defend our minds, to guard our hearts and our minds, to bring about peace. But if we don't arm ourselves by taking up the sword of God's word, then we're not giving the Holy Spirit the tools that the Holy Spirit requires us to give him. He, he chooses, he wrote the word, it's not that he doesn't know the word, but he chooses to use the word in us as his sword in our lives. And he, he brings about the defense of the gospel truth in us as we do that. Um, well, well over time here, that's so what happens when Stacy's not here to keep me on track, I guess. Uh, next time we'll talk about the Holy Spirit creating community within the church. But uh, today as you uh, as you face whatever it is that you're facing, and all of us are dealing with the, the COVID-19 epidemic, pandemic um I want to encourage you to allow the maturity that the Holy Spirit is bringing about in you to develop. Walk in step with Him. Embrace the reality that we are called to grow, we are meant to grow, we are made to grow. And that growth, that maturity, always brings with it a calmness and a stability. That's the nature of of maturity. Immaturity acts rashly, responds quickly, feels Uh, in knee-jerk kind of reactions. But let the spiritual maturity that God is giving you cause you to calm down, to do wise things, and to trust God. And with that, we'll close. Thanks for joining us.